Exploring Mormon Thought features discussions about Mormon doctrine and theology that correlate with topics in the book series of the same name written by scholar and theologian Blake Osler. Find us online at exploringmormonthought.com and facebook.com forward slash exploringmormonthought. Welcome to Exploring Mormon Thought. Today we're going to do something a little bit different. My dad has actually been sick for the last couple of weeks with some sort of terrible cold that has made it so his voice is completely gone. And the doctor has told him to rest his voice. And so rather than force him to do this and lose his voice, I'm going to let him keep it because he kind of needs it for his job as an attorney. Anyway, I just thought I'd take this opportunity to extend an invitation to go ahead and go to our website, exploringmormonthought.com, and in the menu on the left-hand side, there's a little PayPal link, and this is where you can donate to the podcast. So, in the next few episodes, we're going to be talking a lot about different theories of atonement and my dad's specific theory of atonement, and I would like to promote these a lot because I think they're valuable to the LDS community at large, as well as just Christians in general, trying to get a a handle on the most important thing in Christianity, the atonement. And that's going to take some advertising dollars. And in the past, I've done a few promotions through Facebook, but it's all come out of my own pocket. Um, And I have got a few donations, but I haven't really been pushing that part. So with the help of your donations, I would like to be able to advertise a lot more and be able to expand and grow this podcast. Also, Each week when I post to our Facebook, it would be helpful if you like what you hear, if you would share it with your Facebook followers, and just give us a little shout out. We can help grow this podcast so that we have more listeners, and I think the more listeners, the more we can start a conversation about these topics. And again, the whole purpose of this podcast isn't necessarily to convince you of my dad's views. My dad and I happen to differ on quite a few points about different doctrines and theology in general, but but what the point is is to kind of work through these ideas in a logical, sensical manner so that people can at least understand the nuances of their beliefs and then make decisions based on that, just to give people informed beliefs is my main goal. Anyway, since we aren't going to have the regular podcast, I thought I'd take the time to read a talk that I prepared a while ago, but wasn't able to give it due to a sickness at the time as well. So the topic is actually related to what we're going to be talking about in the next chapter, which is the age-old difference between evangelicals and Mormonism, which is grace and works. And we're going to get into the chapter on that, but I'd just like to read this talk. And it's kind of an amalgamation between two different talks by Brad Wilcox and Dieter F. Uchtdorf of the Twelve. I've kind of put it into my own words, but it is basically just an amalgamation of different parts that I highlighted. So, no, I'm not plagiarizing. I'm stating outright that you know a lot of this is directly from those talks. So the two talks are The Gift of Grace and His Grace is Sufficient. God's love for us is deep and almost incomprehensible. I marvel to think that the Son of God would condescend to save us, as imperfect, impure, mistake-prone, and ungrateful as we often are. I have tried to understand the Savior's atonement with my finite mind, and the only explanation I can come up with is this. God loves us deeply, perfectly, and everlastingly. 
I cannot even begin to estimate the breadth and length and depth and height of the love of Christ. A powerful expression of that love is what the scriptures often call the grace of God, the divine assistance and endowment of strength by which we grow from the flawed and limited beings we are now into exalted beings of truth and light, until we are glorified in truth and know all things. How does grace do all these things? Well, first, grace unlocks the gates of heaven. LDS people can get confused about grace, and they say things like, I know that I have to do my part, and then Jesus makes up the difference and fills the gaps that stand between my part and perfection. But who fills the gap that stands between where I am now and my part? Brad Wilcox shares a story where he draws two dots, and he says, The bottom dot is you, and the top dot is Heavenly Father. So he asks her to draw a line between the two dots of about how much would be her part. So she draws a line about halfway there, and he says, wrong. So she's like, oh, I knew I should have drawn a little further. I know that's my part. He says, actually, that's the trick. The whole line is already filled without you even doing anything. You may be thinking, right, like I don't have to do anything. Actually, we have plenty to do, but it is not to fill that gap. We will all be resurrected. We will all go back to God's presence. What is left to be determined by our obedience is what kind of body we plan to be resurrected with and how comfortable we plan to be in God's presence and how long we plan to stay there. The gift of grace does not merely restore us to our previous innocent state. If salvation means only erasing our mistakes and sins, then salvation, as wonderful as it is, does not fulfill the Father's aspirations for us. His aim is much higher. He wants his sons and daughters to become like him. So, second, grace allows us to have a chance to gain experience. Grace is also this period of time allowed us to grow more and become more like God. It is literally a grace period where we can make mistakes and learn from those mistakes. This is the only way we could learn. Experiential knowledge is only gained through experience. Why then obey? If grace is a gift of God, then why is obedience to God's commandments so important? Why bother with God's commandments, or repentance for that matter? Why not just admit that we're sinful and let God save us? We should keep the commandments. By complying, we are not paying the demands of justice, though, not even the smallest part. Instead, we are showing appreciation for what Jesus Christ did by using it to live a life like His. Justice requires immediate perfection or a punishment when we fall short. Because Jesus took that punishment, He can offer us the chance for ultimate perfection and help us reach the goal. He can forgive what justice never could, and He can turn to us now with His own set of requirements. So what's the difference, you may ask? Whether our efforts are required by justice or by Jesus, they are still required. True, but they are required for a different purpose. Fulfilling Christ's requirements is like a mother providing music lessons for her child. Because mom pays the debt in full, she can turn to her child and ask for something. What is it? Ah, practice. Does the child's practice pay the piano teacher? No. Does the child's practice repay mom for paying the piano teacher? No. Practicing is how the child shows appreciation for mom's incredible gift. 
It is how she takes advantage of the amazing opportunity mom is giving her to live her life at a higher level. Mom's joy is not found in getting repaid, but in seeing her gift used, seeing her child improve. And so she continues to call for practice, practice, practice. What it is about is developing a godlike character. The child must practice the piano, but this practice has a different purpose than punishment or payment. Its purpose is change. The miracle of the atonement is not just that we can be cleansed and consoled, but that we can be transformed. Scriptures make it clear that no unclean thing can dwell with God, but no unchanged thing will even want to. In the past, I had a picture in my mind of what the final judgment would be like, and it went something like this. Jesus is standing there with a clipboard, and I'm standing there on the other side of the room nervously looking at Jesus. Jesus checks his clipboard and says, Oh shoot, you know what? You missed it by two points. Sorry. And I beg Jesus, please check the essay question one more time. There have to be two points you can squeeze out of that essay. And that's how I always saw it. But the older I get, the more I realize that in the final judgment, it will not be us begging Jesus, let me stay. No, we will probably be saying, I'm not so sure I deserve to be here. Knowing Christ's character, I believe that if anyone is going to be begging on that occasion, it would probably be Jesus begging us, please, choose to stay. Please, use my atonement, not just to be cleansed, but to be changed so that you want to stay. So let's talk about this phrase, all we can do. The prophet Nephi made an important contribution to our understanding of God's grace when he declared, We labor diligently to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved, after all we can do. However, I wonder if sometimes we misinterpret the phrase, after all we can do. We must understand that after does not equal because. We are not saved because of all that we can do. Have any of us ever done all that we can do? Does God wait until we've expended every effort before he will intervene in our lives with his saving grace? The Savior's gift of grace to us is not necessarily limited to a time after all we can do. We may receive his grace before, during, and after the time when we expend our own efforts. So grace is not a booster engine that kicks in once our fuel supply is exhausted. Rather, it is our constant energy source. It is not the light at the end of the tunnel, but the light that moves us through the tunnel. Grace is not achieved somewhere down the road. It is received right here and right now. Grace is available for all. What if I'm not very good at the piano? What if I hit all the wrong notes? What if it takes me forever to get it right? Isn't that all part of the learning process, though? When a young pianist hits the wrong note, we don't say, she is not worthy to keep practicing. We don't expect her to be flawless. We just expect her to keep trying. When learning the piano, are the only options performing at Carnegie Hall or quitting? No. Growth and development take time. Learning takes time. When we understand grace, we understand that God is long-suffering, that change is a process, and that repentance is a pattern in our lives. So, in conclusion, some Christians say to us, you Mormons are trying to earn your way to heaven. But we can say to them, no, we are not earning heaven, we are learning heaven. We are preparing for it. We are practicing for it. When asked with the famous phrase, have you been saved by grace? 
we should answer yes, absolutely, totally, completely, thankfully, yes. But then we can ask the question that perhaps has not been fully considered. Have you been changed by grace? Some Christians and LDS people are so excited about being saved that maybe they're not thinking enough about what comes next. They are so happy the debt is paid that they may not have considered why the debt existed in the first place. Latter-day Saints know not only what Jesus has saved us from, but also, and more importantly, what he has saved us for. All right, that was the talk, so thanks for listening, and next time we will resume with the next chapter in the book. Thank you for joining us. To support the podcast, donate at exploringmormonthought.com. Follow us on facebook.com forward slash exploringmormonthought.com.